return to the wonderful wizarding world of J.K. Rowling on the Geek Confidential Podcast. addition to the Potterverse is Craig Peters. Welcome, Craig. Hey, Luke. Also joining us, we have Dan Pierce. Welcome back for a second episode. Luke? Pretty good. Um, This is going to be an interesting one because unlike the Harry Potter franchise, this one is not based on an actual novel. This one is based on a book that's referenced in the novels. Craig, First quick impressions of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. I think it's an interesting attempt. And I think it was... Special effects mostly were pretty good. The the acting, I thought, was pretty good. The On the other hand, the characters, other than two, which we'll talk about later, seemed to be a little lacking. A little less than interesting or engaging. And we'll talk about that later. Okay. Dan, what did you think? I thought it was really, really interesting. I, I've i never... I, I, I went into this not seeing... Not willingly seeing a Harry Potter movie... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it, you were it, you were taken hostage and forced to watch them against your will. <laughs> uh, once by like a group of friends, and then the other time for a class. Well, you missed five of them then. Yes, I I only saw um the one with the bird horse, which I, Azkaban that that one, and then <laughs> and then I saw the bird horse. The, okay, the keep going. Bird horse. The bird horse. <laughs> this is off to a great start. Oh, yeah. The bird horse. Okay. And what's the other one? The other one is uh, Chamber of Secrets. The giant snake. Okay. <laughs> the giant snake or what? <laughs> the bird horse and the giant snake. The bird horse. Okay. The- yeah, it's fine. So, um, so, so what did you think of it? This this for me was, I, I got to look at this from like, through the eyes of other people who were basically like way more excited about this film than I was where they were pumped. They were telling me all this information. They were like, just like, Oh my gosh, then he does this thing. But then like, I'm like, all right. So there's this guy, Grinwald and this whole backstory in America and stuff like that. And this is really cool. But honestly, I was just kind of like, wow, this is a 1920s period piece set in New York. This is, this is right before the Great Depression. This is kind of interesting. I wonder how the Great Depression affected the Potterverse. You know, I'm I'm thinking in my head historically and culturally and all of these things, and everyone's like, then the wands come out, and then they shoot this guy, and I'm like, cool, yeah. So, okay. So so it's a completely opposite perspective of most like Harry Potter fans or like people who enjoy fantasy and magic and stuff like that, where it's kind of, I don't know, it's a little different. I enjoyed this film. I actually thought that the 3d was better than Dr. Strange. Oh, 
I, I in the theater I went in, more stuff popped up the screen at me in Fantastic Beasts than did in Doctor Strange. And if that's my very low benchmark, this one was better from a purely 3D standpoint. I enjoyed returning to J.K. Rowling's imagination because she did write the script for this. Um, I do think, though, that as much as I enjoyed many elements of it, it's sort of... How do I put this? It was a it was a thoroughly enjoyable film, but there were many times where it felt very awkward because it felt like a British person trying to write about Americana and not doing so well at it. And but we'll we'll get into that later. That brings us to Eddie Redmayne as Newt's commander, who comes to New York with a suitcase packed full of beasts, and of course, in short order, they escape. What did you think, Craig, of Eddie as well as the Beasts? I think, I think Eddie Redmayne did a great job with what he was given, but in this film, he seems more like he should have been a sidekick rather than a main character because he he, he feels he feels autistic, maybe a little bit OCD. He he just he <laughs> he just doesn't seem like he's got it together. He never looks the other characters in their eyes. He's always looking down in a way like, uh, and it's not like he's shy. He just doesn't make eye contact. And, and I found that annoying through the entire, through the entire film, though I think he did it the way he was supposed to. It just didn't feel like he was a dynamic character. His brother's supposed to be a great war hero. And he is this kind of uh, stunted character who, really doesn't have much personality. Uh, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy, but uh, it just doesn't. He just, I didn't feel myself enjoying his character as much as some of the actions that, and the magic that he did, but just didn't. He was a very reactionary character. Unlike most leads of films who tend to be well, that's true. forward, he was definitely a reactionary. Yes, Absolutely. What do you think, Dan? I agree on a lot of that. Um, he was very idealistic, very reactionary. Um, didn't necessarily strike me as leading in his personality, and I think that was part of the point. Um, a lot of his goals and the things he was trying to do with the beasts and the um, his big goal with the the giant bird thing was basically to to find to get it to Arizona and find the breeder of the eggs and kind of be able to set these some of these beasts free in safe and habitable surroundings um part of the problem with the story as it pertains to the beasts is that you still need the humans to drive the story. And when you have a character whose entire life is taking care of these beasts, he no longer cares about the opinion of humans unless it adversely affects the beasts. And, and why so, would he take these wonderful beasts into an area where they exterminate them? Yeah, that that had there were some logic flaws that we just kind of had to accept on the basis of like maybe they're always all together because the 
like the habitat of the the suitcase is is just where he keeps all of them all the time that that's the logical leap that we were asked to make with part of this film well the suitcase is basically a a portable wildlife preserve but with yes. a broken latch even yeah we'll get to that <laughs> um, <laughs> my thoughts on him first of all i have a hard time with him he is a fantastic actor and i have seen him in a number of things where he is just brilliant but and this is coming from someone who watches an infinite amount of british television from uh produced by the bbc so i've heard every almost every single different accent that they've put out whether it's high english quote unquote or queen's english or if it's very low low english and Eddie Redmayne, for me, is one of the most difficult people to ever understand what he is saying when he is speaking naturally. I always feel like he has a mouthful of marbles. And in this role where you're supposed to be the person who is giving us insight and explaining things um, and giving us the history about these creatures and animals, I didn't understand half the stuff he said. And that was, I was hoping that as an actor that maybe it's because of the fact that he, the character is British that he didn't think he need to worry about his accent. But I had hoped that there had, would have been a little bit more enunciation and a, a lot less marbles. And I didn't get that. I also think that he was a reactive character. I also think that the way he, the character was written was a little bit of an idiot. He's coming into a world of uh, into the United States as this person who's been all over the planet researching these animals, and I I get that he's obsessed with them, but if you're a globe-trotting person out to save animals, you would think that you know the rules and the types of magic and the various other things that you would want to avoid getting in trouble with when you go to a country as big of America. It that that logic just didn't work for me. Um, before we get to the rest of the characters, though, let's talk a little bit about that magic, because this is another area where I think that Rowling was weak. One of the things that I loved about the Harry Potter universe, having read the books and watched the movies, was how imaginative her terms were, how um, descriptive everything was, and how it sucked you into the environment. But the first moment I heard the word nomad. Oh, God. I was like, what is wrong? Who, it, what suit came up with that name? Like, you have a muggle, which is a very interesting name for British characters who are humans and have no magic. And in the US, you have no mag. Kim, let's back up and think about this. Where did the first Pur- Puritans on the Mayflower come from? England. Why is there a difference between what Americans call a non-magic user and what is is done in Britain? There shouldn't be. There's no reason why these characters can't be considered muggles. Yeah. Why aren't they? Because you well, can't. Well, remember, an, it's an selling. elevator and a lift. Well, no, I understand that, but there's a difference between an elevator and a lift versus muggle and nomad. Yeah. I mean, for something as fundamental as magic rules, if you look at at least the way the Harry Potter universe is set up, the Harry Potter universe is very Eurocentric. Most 
of of the many immigration waves that came to this country that did not involve slavery in the early years of this country were from European countries. Why then did not many most of those terms, the basic terms like muggle versus nomad, not automatically carry over for the magic community? It doesn't make sense to me at all. And then we go down the list of uh, the Makusa. <laughs> Who comes up with a word like Makusa? I get that it stands for the Magical Congress of the United States of America, but it's just a terrible word and doesn't make it doesn't feel it doesn't feel rallying. And she Japanese. She may have, it does sound Japanese, <laughs> she may have actually come up with all of this stuff for the script, but I feel like it's one of those things where she wrote the story but then had to go back afterwards and come up with terms, and just because it's in America, she had to come up with different ones. Why, rather than having to have Tina explain that a nomad was their version of a muggle, why didn't we just have a comment about, oh yeah, we call them muggles too? Yeah, it 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 kind of feels like it's another level for them to sell to an audience. Not not necessarily from like a story perspective, but like hey, maybe we can sell them like the Harry Potter the the Pottermore online or Harry Potter the the theme park at all of the Universal Studios. It's it it's the same level of sales that they can create to try and market to a newer generation because that's kind of one of the things about this movie is that while it appeals to the previous generation that watched Harry Potter, there's a whole new generation of people that are that could be either starting with this or their parents were super into Harry Potter and now they're them as kids get to grow up with fantastic beasts. I get that. But if you have a formula as big and as profitable as the Harry Potter formula with those books, you, it does not, you you can make very small tweaks to that formula that do not, that are not as, as jarring as Nomadge and Makusa are. I agree. And still, and still sell it. Craig, what are your thoughts on, the the conversion of magic from Europe to well, America in this it, film. To me, the whole the whole the film and the 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 references you talk are uh, you're talking about uh, were created a really damning image of the United States in a time, you know, shortly after the uh, what year are we talking about? Nineteen twenty six. Yes, nineteen twenties. I mean, yeah. they call them the Roaring Twenties. The United States was having a blast. It was before the Depression. Things were great in the United States at that time. So historical references, it should have been an exciting time, a glorious time. There should have been dancing and fun through the whole film. It's a, It was one of the best times in America. So I found I found the, the film to be depressing and a big downer and the fact that the United States had killed all magical creatures. How does that work? I mean, that's a, that's a horrible... Uh, it, it seems horrible to me. And I mean, that just, uh, obviously the names, Nomadge and Makusa, and there's just, there's none of the glory, none of the, none of the huge fun, none of the, none of the cool items that, uh, that they had in the original Harry Potter books. I mean, the, every single time you turned around, there was some little, some little special, like the every flavor beans or the, or the, the little, the owls carrying messages and all the, all these little touches that make Harry Potter 
so much better than the writing itself. It's all those little creative uh, aspects. There's They tried with the little paper rats and things like that, but it just didn't measure up. The whole thing just seems bland. And the United States seems dark and dismal when at that point in the world, it shouldn't have been. They should have taken Newt to West Egg is what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hang out at a Gatsby party. Yes, exactly. Honest to God, they, they should have. I mean, there's all sorts of fun stuff you could do in the 20s in, in the United yeah. States. Um, I agree. What do you think, Luke? Well, I've already expressed what I think. I mean, about um, the roaring 20s. I, oh, the 1920s? Yeah, the roaring 20s. <clears throat> I don't know. You hear about the Roaring Twenties. You know that financially that that was a great time for the American economy. But I've never had this view of it, whether it's from watching the Great Gatsby movie or Boardwalk Empire on HBO or any of these other things that I've seen about the Twenties. I have not seen it to be a bright place. Most of the things that you, most of the things that I've seen with the 1920s have always given a very straight-laced atmosphere with little drinking spots where people can basically go to get together because of the fact that of prohibition. I don't really see much difference between this 1920s than other things that I've seen in film and television regarding the 1920s. I don't think of the 1920s other than the fact that what I've been told is that it was a roaring economy the depictions of that period, I felt that this film was very much in line with those. I didn't see much different than other ways that it's been depicted. So for me, that was not a big issue. One of the first people that he meets is uh, Kowalski, who is actually my favorite character in this in the entire movie. I agree. He has the most he has the most character development, he has the best romantic story, he has the most humor, and he has the most drama. Dan, what'd you think of him? I absolutely loved him. Um he reminded me of so many of like my Polish uh relatives just between the bakery and the stuff of that nature and the way he went about like just his matter of speech and all like he had so many of the mannerisms that I associate with part of my family down that I was just, I was absolutely rooting for the character throughout the entire, like it didn't matter what Newt was doing. I I was more focused on what, uh, what was going on with uh, Jacob Kowalski and yes. his, his whole like arc. And his arc, uh, for those who may not have watched the film, was that he meets Newt when Newt ends up going to a bank, tries to catch Niffler, who has escaped, and Niffler is basically a black platypus, platypus who can stuff as much gold and shiny objects in his pouch as possible. Um, he meets uh, Kowalski at this bank where Niffler has gone, and their suitcases get mixed up, and it becomes the beginning of a very interesting relationship and they, their stories become intertwined. <laughs> At one point he gets uh, Kowalski um, knocks out Newt, um, but they end up together going on this adventure. And for me, he was the highlight of the film. Craig, what oh, did you Dan, think? Dan Fogler as uh, was a delight in that role. He, it was, 
it it made the movie. He and him and his love relationship, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, just just absolutely stole the movie. He was the main character. He should have been the the lead, and then maybe Newt as his sidekick because he was funny. He was cute. He was he had apparently somehow he'd gotten he'd gone over to fight in World War One and got stuck over there for a while, and he'd come back uh, with no money. What? Why that happened? I don't know. Because he should have had some money from his war money, but maybe spend it all, but he needed a loan to get a bakery and he's in the bank trying to get a loan for this bakery. And that's an under theme through the whole story that he, he just wants to be a baker and he's, he's satisfied with if all he could do is get his bakery, he's going to be satisfied. And he gets into, he gets into all the fixes you'd expect from a, from a sidekick with a magician who's more interested in animals. He's a, he's like a, like a stooge character though, though a little smarter, but he's always stepping into something or, or grabbing something or are doing something that gets himself in a little bit of trouble. And of course, all this magic stuff is happening around him. Like there's this wonderful scene where he's got to go into walk into a suitcase and a suitcase has no bottom. And guess what? It's bigger on the inside than it is on the out. And of course, he has to squeeze himself through. It's a hilarious scene. It's funny when he actually has to jump up and down and you see this suitcase jumping up and down, and of course you don't see the bottom half of him because it's in the, the, the room below. Uh, it's just everything he does in this film is, is fun, it's, it's interesting, and he's just delightful character. Very engaging. I love the word engaging with this, these things because this guy, when he's on the screen, you want to watch him. And you, all eyes draw to him, and of course later on, Queenie, his love interest. Well, before we can get to Queenie, let's talk about her sister, Tina, who is the female in counterpart. Um, she is in the Makusa, shall we say, as a agent who is, because in America, unlike the uh, British version, the people don't know about magic in America. I don't know how they don't, considering that this can cross, I mean, information can cross oceans. But she sees what Newt is doing and that his animals have escaped and she tries to bring him in. I'm a little bit conflicted about this char character. On one hand, I think that Catherine Waterston did a good job from with what she was given. And I feel like I'm going to be repeating that multiple times through this discussion. The person was given a good, I mean, was did well with what they were given. But on the other hand, I think that there was also amount of, for two characters that are supposed to have have um, romantic love interest potential, I didn't find any between Newt and Tina. Um, I was, ab by the end of the film, there for me, there was absolutely no investment in it. I did like the story of her, for Tina in that she was a woman who was trying to be, um, move up the chain. I like the fact that she was basically doing a job that isn't something that you see a lot of women doing. I mean, there were some women wizards in it, but it wasn't something that there from the other depictions that we see, there weren't a lot of women who were the patrollers or the people who were on the beach, shall we say. So I like that, but I really would have preferred that if this movie was the Queenie and Kowalski film and not the, the Newt and Tina film. What did you think of the character, Dan? Uh, I agree 100%. Um, I kind of found her character to be really, like, as much as excited as I was that, like, okay, a female character who's, like, an agent in the field uh, 
helping out the the Makusa and this great governing body that kind of polices the other uh, magical entities within America. It was kind of rough that she was bad at her job. Like that yep. she she was actually bad at her job. I was kind of hoping that like at some point she would be able to like show that, no, I can actually do this. But uh, as soon as the movie starts and she enters her first scene uh, with the council holding Newt, who's holding a case full of magical beasts and they won't even let her speak and she won't speak up for the fact that this is going on. And later she gets yelled at for the same thing. I I'm like, really? You don't say anything. Ugh. I agree completely that she wasn't as compelling of a character as Queenie. She wasn't as compelling as Kowalski. They, the two of them really should have been the focus and it could have provided some interesting, you know, I guess no madge and wizard <laughs> subtext. Um, and, you know, nice little character moments here and there. But yeah, I, this, the, the main two characters really fell flat. To the point where when at the end he's like, well, what if I brought you a copy of my book in person? I was like, please do not make us watch that. Um, Craig, what did oh, you th what did you think was, of Tina? The character was bland. Uh, you know, if they gave her that to work with and told her to do that, she did a good job in it. Uh, by the way, you brought up Boardwalk Empire. She was actually in Boardwalk Empire. I don't know if you knew that or not. I watched the first season of Boardwalk Empire and then stopped. So my recollection of that is very gotcha. minimal. Well, she, as a non-major character. As a supporting character, I think she would have been fine. But being a major character, there was nothing there. Once again, there's no reason to watch her. No X factor. No, no dynamism. No, no, uh, no fun really in the character. In fact, she she does something that I would never have expected in this in this film. And she she basically turns Newt in at a time when she should have known better. She knew that. Well, she's trying to get her job. Well, yeah, back, but basically. this is supposed to be her love interest. This is supposed to be a person that cares, and she takes a takes the risk of losing these animals, which it looks like she may have. Uh, and in three quarters of the way in the film, looks like she may have actually gotten rid of the animals because guess what? These people in the United States kill all magical animals. They exterminate them because they don't want the rest of the world to know about them. And I, I will take one issue with you. The, the muggles in, in Britain didn't know that there was magic all around them, even though constant magic was going on. They didn't know it. Uh, well, wait, 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 wait. The prime minister Well, maybe does. the prime minister, but most of the muggles don't know. The, high levels of government know that okay. magic exists in the Harry Potter uh, universe. That may or may not be the case. I don't, I don't remember that being the case. But, um, but regardless of that, high... Uh, if they hide, if they can hide magic from the masses, in in Britain, why can't they hide from the masses in the United States? And frankly, as this film progresses, well, I'm getting a little off the topic here, but as the film progresses, these these magicians in the United States have immense power, so it doesn't seem like it would have been that much of a worry. But her turning those poor animals in and turning uh, Newt in just seemed wrong to me. It seemed like 
Uh, and again, like you said, the character's not not appealing, not, uh, I, and I'm, when I say attractive, I don't mean physically attractive, just not a character that I would care to see again. Engaging. Yeah, my work. In addition to um, Newt's suitcase of animals that got free, New York is also being haunted by an Obscurus, which according to Wikipedia, Obscurus is a dark, destructive force inadvertently manifested by young magical children forced to conceal their powers. So this has been rampaging through New York City, which if you think about that, that child is extremely powerful in magic. Um, it ends up killing multiple people. And so while Newt is trying to recapture his beasts, he's also trying to get to the bottom of who is the Obscurist. Now, the other person who's trying to get uh, um, to the bottom of it is Graves, portrayed by Colin Farrell. And I actually liked Colin Farrell in this film. The characterization that he had to portray wasn't necessarily that great, but I liked him in the film. I was a little bit disappointed at the end, which we'll get to um, later, about what ends up happening, because I wanted to see him stick around. But I liked him in the role. Um, what did you think of him, and what did you think of the Obscurist, Dan? Uh, I I kind of... I, I like the fact that it... Ha- it gave the the movie a little bit more star presence than what had originally been, you know, as huge as Eddie Redmayne is Colin Farrell, adding Colin Farrell, adding, you know, Zoe Kravitz, adding eventually spoiler alert, spoiler alert, Johnny Depp later, like the, (laughs) these, these types of uh, names add a lot of weight to the Harry Potter universe that while, the Harry Potter universe already has like a ton of like big names and stuff like that. They were from a, another half of the franchise. Like this is a brand new half of the franchise that kind of needs that stuff. And so for people like Eddie Redmayne and Ezra Miller and Colin Farrell to be there, that's great. Uh, Colin Farrell's character. I wasn't super like he, he seemed rough just to be rough. It makes sense later on, but as like you're watching the movie and you don't know the big spoiler, it just doesn't make any sense. Okay, I'm going to just mention it. The big spoiler is at the end, it turns out that Grindelwald, portrayed by Johnny Depp, has taken over Colin Farrell Graves' form and is masquerading as Graves. Now, if you just think about the previous Harry Potter films, I think that Graves had the potential to be an excellent Snape for this franchise. And I realized that it might have been a little bit cookie cutter if they had done that. But I groaned when Johnny Depp showed up at the end as uh, Grindelwald and Colin Farrell's character Graves, because I wanted to see more of Graves. And I knew that Johnny, because Johnny Depp had been cast as Grindelwald. But I'm so unless it's unless it is Pirates of the Caribbean, I do not want to see Johnny Depp in anything. And so seeing him then as this character, I was majorly disappointed. Um, Craig, what did you think of Colin Farrell? What did you think of the Obscurus, Johnny Depp? And if you want to go into it, Ezra Miller is Crendon's uh, bare bones. Well, I found a I found a uh, a definition of what an Obscurus is or a, a description. It's the rep- repressed energy of a magical child known as an obscurious, described as a dark and parasitic force. 
it's created when the child in question is forced to repress their talent through physical or psychological abuse. Uh, the energy can infest, it manifests itself as a separate entity that it can, can erupt in violent, destructive fury. I love the concept of the, of the excuse. The concept of it is excellent. It is excellent. I didn't like the look of it a whole lot. It looked kind of bland. Uh, I mean, the black, dark, gray, it looked kind of really bland. So then like, well, how many, how many, um, cloud, cloud villains can we have? I understand That's that. true. I understand that. So it's, all, it's a Marvel, uh, but Graves, of course, through oh, the know, entire right? film is trying to catch the obscurest to use it for his own, his own evil, evil purposes. And so, um, I, 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 Colin Farrell is a good actor. I like him in just about everything he does. But in this film, he's like, he feels like an empty suit. He feels like he's given a job to be bland, to be not engaging or interesting. And they, they put clothes on him that don't fit anywhere. They don't look as cool or as, as, as uh, interesting as the, the robes that the wizards wear in, uh, in Britain. They don't look like normal clothes that you'd wear in the whirling 20s um, in the United States. They just look kind of goofy to me, which added to this feeling like I can't get interested in this guy. And he's not an interesting character. I'm sure he did what he was supposed to, but there was no backstory whatsoever. Uh, Voldemort, you always got little pieces of backstory for Voldemort. You got you got a feel uh, for uh, Snape immediately. He was like an archetypal character. Graves, Colin Farrell, is not archetypal. You don't know who this guy is. You can't get a feel for him. Uh, most of the work uh, she uh, Rowling does is give people names that kind of express their character, kind of like an old Charles Dickens idea, or a personality, or a, a even the 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 like uh, Snape's in his slick looking, kind of greasy looking hair kind of thing. You knew basically who he was the moment you saw him. You knew who Dumbledore was the moment you saw him. A Gandalf type of character. With with uh, Graves, he just didn't fit any categories. He didn't fit. So you couldn't, and since there was no backstory at all on him, it was hard to get a feel for him. So I assumed he was going to be the bad guy in the end, but I didn't necessarily know he was going to be Grindelwald. But uh, I didn't, I didn't, didn't get any. Are you excited about Johnny Depp? No, <laughs> he's he's one guy that is extremely overexposed. There's some of the stuff that he's done I really love. Some of the stuff I could care less about. I saw him first in Crybaby. Loved him in Crybaby. I liked him in uh, Chocolate. I liked him in that. So there've been roles and things that I've liked him in, but this one just doesn't. I just feel like after the Alice in Wonderlands, after the mini over uh, the Tontos, after yeah, I I just do not want to see Johnny Depp hamming up anything other than in Pirates. Yeah, Dan, what are your thoughts on Johnny Depp? I I enjoy Johnny Depp in Pirates. But I do agree that we've been getting way too much Johnny Depp as a society. Uh, I, I feel as though Tim Burton needs to lose his phone number for all of eternity. I think that the combination of the two is just it, – it's been too much. And seeing him in this role, I understand the motif and why it makes sense. I just don't think it's necessary. I think Colin Farrell probably could have played that character. Like you put, you dye his hair a little bit. You put a little bit of makeup on him. He probably could have pulled it off. 
I I I don't see the the necess or why the actor change is necessary within from Graves to uh, Grunewald. I'll probably end up seeing the next Pirates movie uh, because I hear they're bringing back um, Orlando Bloom, but Johnny Depp. I I think he needs to slow down. So we have two stories going on. Newt is simultaneously trying to um, recapture his animals while also on the run from Graves because he was captured by Graves. Um, him and Tina were captured by Graves and were going to have their magic taken away from them, basically, and killed. Yeah. What did you think, Dan, of how that those two stories intertwined as they went on the run? There were some very humorous moments, like when they tried to recapture the beast that was in heat, and uh, <laughs> Kowalski got the fragrance or the pheromones on him or whatever. There were there were humorous moments. There were cute moments. I loved the moment where the and I don't know the name of this beast, but it was the one that can adapt to its size. Ends up in the teacup. Yeah, I thought that was very. I thought that was very cool. What did you think? That was all really, really awesome. And I was really, I thought that that aspect of the movie was like the fun adventure that the people who had been in the audience had been looking for. And every time they would cut away to Credence and uh, Graves, I was just kind of like, really? The movie was fun. Why, why are you guys taking that away? And then for them to get caught the way they did in terms of and being sentenced to death and then having this whole, oh, we're going to have you drown yourself by showing you memories that look so fun. I'm like, this is not what I want to see. Like, that just got morbid really quickly. I don't know if that's like... Well, there there were some definite dark undertones to this film. There was what you just pointed out. There was also the Graves and Credence aspect, which when you see that Credence, uh, portrayed by Ezra Miller, who it ends up being the person responsible for the Obscurus, when you see his scenes with Graves, there were definitely undertones of, is Graves sexually assaulting this kid? Yeah. And between that and the beating and the various other things... There were really dark undertones to it. Credence is being beat. The The fact that you don't know whether or not, I mean, it's sort of implied or inferred that Graves may have sexually assaulted Credence or had some sort of sexual manipulation with him. There was a lot of dark stuff. The stuff that you pointed out when they were going to be killed by watching their favorite dreams, that was also very dark. I don't know how to put this, but in the Harry Potter movies, Part, there was darkness, but because in the first several movies and books, because Harry Potter was growing up as a man, the, there was a lot of light that was added to it, so there was a good balance. Because we're now going into Newt's story, which is an adult, and because it's in a different universe, there, was, there wasn't as much room for light. And I think that that was part of the problem, because other than Kowalski and Queenie, there wasn't a lot of light in this film and there needed to be something more than just them to provide that balance. Craig, what did you think of the darkness in this? Well, film? it, the thing that came to mind to me, there was, it, I never sensed this with the JK Rowling, Harry Potter series. I, I didn't get a sense of creepiness or sliminess in this film. It's just, there was a sliminess, kind of a, an icker over, over this film. I mean, 
it just I know that they were trying to represent the um, the pro- prohibition, the lady with with the kids uh, who was beating the kids and abusing them. So they had her as being the prohibition prohibition lady. They're trying to get rid of magic and everything magic. So um, they had that prohibition background. So she was using that as a dark time in American history, and she was doing it with magic instead of instead of alcohol. So I got that sense, but there was nothing light and no no lightheartedness in this at all. There was no real fun in it, except a couple of the beasts were kind of fun. But overall, there was nothing really that you could just have some sense of joy about. I didn't have any sense of joy during the whole film. So, yeah, it was dark and it was dismal. And um, that's why I brought up the, the Roaring Twenties, because there was fun stuff going on there. If you want to see a movie that has some, Luke, go to Some Like It Odd. There's some fuss, fun stuff going on with all the with all the darkness going on at the same time. But um, it felt like I was in a Dickensian novel or a Chekhov play, one of the more dark and depressing ones. And that's not what the Harry Potter was about. There was always this sense of hope and and a bright future. Even with when Voldemort got to his last, you always had this sense that they're going to find a way out of this in, in the new film. Yeah, I'm. I'm not even interested. I will see it because I see nearly everything, but I'm not even interested in seeing the next film because I. I left with such a dark, depressing, non-cathartic feel uh, from the film. So, uh, hopefully, they can improve it. But I expect the original film in any series to either be all dark going toward the light or all light going to the dark. And this was. This was neither. I. But I would have liked to see this be light like the first couple of Harry Potter films. Earlier I mentioned that th- this movie for me felt like Rowling trying to write America without understanding it. And one of the things that you come across with authors is can you write something if you don't have if you don't have knowledge of it? Obviously she has wonderful knowledge of British and British based fantasy. She obviously has done an amazing job with that. But she has when it comes come to magic in America run into problems. There have been controversies about the houses and how she named those. And and you can Google it if you want to learn more on it. But what I'm getting at is that same thread seemed to follow through with me on this film as well, because the other thing that was very glaring in the film, and it's a topic that as not an African-American, I can't really weigh in too much in terms of what's right and what's wrong. But from a viewing standpoint, I thought that it was a little bit interesting that the only African-American representation in this film, or the primary, I shouldn't say only, but the primary African-American representation in this film was a light-skinned African-American as the head of magic, a very Aunt Jemima type of black woman as the person who was going to basically kill them, and then a lounge singer goblin. It left me uncomfortable watching the film, and I felt like of all the opportunities in this great in this great movie and this great mythology that Rowling has, that made me uncomfortable watching the film. Dan, did you have any ideas at all? I had similar ideas where, like, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, time period that there there's got to be an explanation as to why there's not a better representation of not only African Americans but Hispanic, Asian Americans, like. All, all across the uh, the diversity pond. 
one thing that I was kind of think about was like the the big thing that this movie was constantly keep trying to hammer into you is that these nomadges are not equal to the wizards. They're they're not. Yep. There there was a heavy level of discrimination toward the nomadges, looking down on them, looking even though the the wizards allowed the nomadges to basically have like this great society and world and all sorts of things that the wizards could easily upend at any given point. They still look down on the nomadges because they were not the same. And I think from that perspective, the producers prob- and writers probably felt that they were hammering a, a diversity point from a story perspective. However, representation on screen is oftentimes more powerful than the stories being told. And in in this case, I, I definitely would have liked to see a little bit more representation. Craig, um, one of the things that you and I had discussed about this was what Dan just brought up um, and how when we were discussing this topic before the podcast, it was there was definitely a haves and haves nots with magic and, and no magic in the Harry Potter series. But you never got the sense of like discrimination um, at the school. And maybe that's because it was a Hogwarts was filled with all kinds of different raced children, even though none of the three primary ones were minorities. You still saw a lot of minorities popping up in various roles in this one. It didn't feel the same. And while I get that the magic versus no madge was an element of it, I still don't think that like even in that big scene where he comes out of the suitcase in the middle of Makusa, there weren't a lot of minorities in there. I think we got a fleeting glimpse of what may have been a Native American person, but there weren't as a whole a lot of minorities. And I was actually sort of disappointed in it. I would have thought that either Warner Brothers or Rowling, because Rowling, if you look at her on Twitter, she is a very inclusive individual. She is outspoken for people in terms of representation and in terms of rights. And that's, I think, part of the reason why I was so surprised that the depictions in this film were very almost borderline in especially with the with the one lady who was like uh, it was almost like a massa you want to you want to take uh, it's okay if i take your magic i mean it was very shocking for me what did well first of all it's 1926 so i can understand in 1926 you don't see a lot of ethnic diversity in communities Uh, usually the communities stick stuck to their their own places i guess you could say but, but in humans, no matches, but not necessarily magic. Right, I understand. At least in the universe that has been established. The problem previously. is that was in the, the, the universe has been established previously, is in the year 19, what is it, 1997 to the 2000s. I mean, I may have that off a little bit, but we're talking about 100 years, almost 100 years, well, 90 years difference. So, um, but the negative stereotype of the one, the one black woman was horrible. I just can't even imagine that character being 
being in the film. So that one struck me as awful. I, I also find it, I thought it, thought it really unusual for the president of the, of the, of Makusa to be simply that very, very light skinned African-American or black person. I, let me try and clarify this. Was it the fact that you thought that in 1920s it would seem unlikely that an African-American would be elevated to such a high level of power? Or was it because of the fact that it seemed to be token? Uh, I, in, in, in 1926, I think it would be unlikely for, for an African-American to be uh, elevated to the presidency of this organization. Uh, I did think that was unlikely. But it, more unlikely was that if you're going to have one, it shouldn't be a token. It should be It should be someone that was clearly not a token, <laughs> a much more obvious choice rather than this. And it looked like very, 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 very light skinned with, and I thought it looked like blonde hair. That seemed odd in the 19, in 1926. And it may not have been blonde hair, but the cap she wore, she had these ringlets coming out the sides that looked like very blonde hair to me. Uh, I, it just seemed, it seemed discordant. If, and there was, she was like the only one, all these other aurors were that I could see were white with maybe with possibly the one was a, a native with the exception of the possible yeah. native american everyone else everyone appeared else appeared white. white so if you're going to do it then include some include some people include a nice broad array of people but if you just have the one if you've got 40 40 other orers or 140 other orers or however many there were that are all white and then you have a black leader who's very very light skinned it just seemed off kilter to me I didn't have any problem with there being African-Americans with oars or the African-American leading it. But this it just seemed, like you said, kind of a token. But then the really bad thing was this stereotypical, stereotype, nasty a character that was going to kill the, the, three, the three heroes, which I thought was off anyway. I didn't like that idea at all. Maybe, maybe removing their magic, maybe removing their memories, whatever, but... They're just going to kill them for really no great sin. I, I found that to be too too. That found that to be disturbing. I didn't see any any purpose for it, any reason for it. Now in in Britain in Hogwarts, you had the um, the Malfoy family that really did discriminate against Muggles and non Magics uh, users. So I mean, there was real discrimination against the Magic people there, but. And I think that's part of the reason why Harry Potter worked is because when you have one that is so blatant, it provides a good reference point where this was just all so subtle. It was like, is this intentional or is this just exactly? And that's that's the issue that I have with it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the finale. Basically, Newt helps to try and save Credence. It's revealed that um, Graves is really Grinwald, but because there has been so much destruction of New York City, they have to try and wipe everybody's minds. Now, before I get to the wiping of everybody's minds, I should probably touch on Queenie because oh, we yes. missed her in this. When Tina and Newt and Kowalski are on the run, we are introduced to her at Tina and Queenie's apartment, and we get to see this wonderful romance bud between the two of them. They very much have this wonderful connection and it's the best part of the film. By time you get to the end, Newt has to wipe the memories of all of New York city. 
My favorite moment of this film was when Queenie steps out into the rain that is wiping away all of Kowalski's memories, creates an umbrella, and kisses him. And it provided a wonderful moment for those two. But it was part of a scene that I know, Craig, you thought the wiping of the magic was sort of stupid how it was done. What did you think of the finale? What did you think of Queenie? Well, the wiping of the magic itself was fine. The, the the poison that's in the rain diluted enough so it just wiped the memories of all these these nomadges. But the fact that uh, Kowalski, who's just been introduced to this beautiful, wonderful world of magic, so to speak, is is going to voluntarily let them wipe his memory. They would have dragged me kicking and screaming to get me to to give up that that memory. I would never have agreed to that. They would have had to tie me up and 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 hit me with something to knock me out to get me to do that. So I found that to be completely unrealistic and un unbelievable. And for those three that, lo that love and care about Kowalski, to do it seemed completely unrealistic. Unreal they should have been able to find some way to make it seem like they'd done it, but not. I just don't understand it. I, I hated that part of the film. Still do. But do you think at the end that he final, one of the final shots of the film is him in his bakery that he now owns and all of the things that he's baked are these animals from the suitcase. Do you think that that was a hint that he either a got the uh, magic or the memories back or B that his subconscious was fighting to get them back? Because when Queenie shows up, the look that she gives him and then the smile that he has leads you to believe that either a, he's getting the memories back or B he already has. Yes, them I, back. Well, he doesn't have them back. I can tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. The look on his face, he doesn't have him back yet. But yes, it looks like what she did was what she may have done is used magic to to uh, let him get his memory back. I'm hoping that's the way it was. But uh, none of them fought it. I mean, they could have done something. So, uh, but the, there's the wonderful moment at the end where Queenie does Queenie, who I would say was channeling, as I told you before when we talked about this, she was channeling Marilyn Monroe. She did a beautiful job of, of a, a, a 1920s young, pretty strawberry blonde with that, with that sweetness. And that's something that uh, Marilyn Monroe did in all of her film. A level, a level of, innocence. of innocence, like some in some like it hot. She wasn't really innocent, but she had that sense no, I, of innocence. But, um, but yeah. that's why I mentioned some like it hot, because it's very much, that character that she is and she's just a wonderful character and played beautifully by by uh allison Sadal. just played beautifully that's my favorite my favorite performance so kowalski's my favorite character um Sadal is my favorite performance and uh, but okay. yes you know he's getting his memory or at least he has some of the memories there and we're hoping he gets them back so that when uh, Newt comes back to the United States, we get him back because this series is gone for me if we don't have Kowalski and Queenie back. Absolutely. Dan, what did you think of the finale and what did you think of Queenie? And I love those two. Those two were definitely a highlight of this entire film. And I, I don't necessarily think that he got his memories back or there, like there's definitely a window opening for him subconsciously to be thinking in that direction. But honestly, I took the smile and stuff at the end with him and Queenie in the bakery 
as him falling for her all over again. Like you, you seem familiar. You, I'm maybe we knew each other in another life kind of falling. Just gorgeous. (laughs) Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, that's, that's kind of a basic, uh, a human instinct. And not only that, but he's in the service industry. So there's that. Um, but it's a really, it's a really subtle moment. Well, not necessarily subtle, but like the subtlety of their relationship as a whole and how it progressed and how it evolved from, Oh, she, she cooks, she bakes, uh, we went on this adventure together. Now we're kind of falling for each other. She considers me part of the group. I'm part of the group, I guess. I guess I'm not part of the group because this government entity says I'm not part of the group. So now I, I, I have to lose everything. And it was it's a gentle. What, it was a gentle moment. Would you say? It, it was a very gentle moment, and it's kind of. It it almost strikes me as like a Greek tragedy in that respect with Kowalski as like the main character where he goes through all of these hardships and different relationships and all of these things. And at the end of the day, he gets what he wants, but it's not actually what he wants. And what did you think of the rest of the Uh, finale? The rest of the finale is okay. It kind of just – it leaves itself open for sequels, but it also – it's – inoffensive it's it's one of those things where it's like all right so newt is gonna get on the boat and tina's gonna kind of sort of like him but maybe not maybe this can go a a gazillion different ways there you were absolutely hitting the nail on the head where they were trying to be too subtle with certain aspects of the individual relationships that it almost calls for like polar like extremes in personalities within characters to create a dynamic to engage the subtlety of certain facets of one's personality. Um, I, I, I thought it was okay. It, it wasn't great. I'm for, for that aspect, but I mean, Kowalski and Queenie really saved that. Well, and I hate to be a disappointment to you guys, but Based on what I've seen online and a, a, a Wikipedia, which you can take Wikipedia with a grain of salt, the next Fantastic uh, Beast movie is supposed to be set in the UK and Paris, which would seem like very unlikely that we would see a baker from New York City and Queenie show up in that setting. Uh, when he when he goes back up the gangplank to the ship and was leaving, I was like, I'm I'll bet that we're gonna it's all these movies are not gonna be set in America, which is what I first thought these are going to be movies that are going to be all over the world because of the, the the beast premise and the fact that he tries to save these things all over the world. I'm not saying that I wouldn't go to him because I did enjoy this film as hard as we've been on this in this film, I would still give it a solid four because I really enjoyed a lot of things from it. But I, I'm very worried or skeptical about how you are going to, give the wider audience reason to tune in and come back for the second movie if you do not have the care the two characters that i mean their wide consensus is they were the ones that people most cared about i mean 
could you really pull off a Harry Potter movie in which you don't have the people who you care about? I don't think you can. I almost think that this would have been a better movie if Hagrid would have been the guy with Fantastic Beasts because we spent seven movies watching him and his love for beasts if if he if this had been Hagrid traveling all over the world before he got in trouble for his love for beasts and he was finding them I, like I keep thinking to myself imagine how great this film would have been with Hagrid in the role because there was someone who was both dynamic and uh, not a reactive character I I worry about what the rest of the franchise is going to be like if in every film we get a new supporting cast because um, Newt is traveling the world. Going around the circle, quick thought on CGI and your out of five star rating. Craig, what were, uh, what are your thoughts? I, I have a problem with the CGI. Whenever I saw, well, often when I saw Newt petting one of the creatures, it looked fake you could actually see in, in a couple cases where his hand wasn't didn't wasn't touching the animal and it, it just i expected just incredible cgi i expected the best cgi i've seen in the last year has been in jungle book where everything looked so real it's one of my favorite movies of the year i felt so much of this looked made up fake it looked like the creatures didn't look realistic uh, they looked cartoon, a little cartoony kind of. And so I had a problem with that. The magic stuff was okay. Not as good as Doctor Strange. I thought the magic in that film was terrific. And this one, I just didn't, I wasn't sold on it. I'm going to be generous and give it a two out of five. Um, it's not okay. one I'm going to see often, but I may watch it again someday. Dan? Uh I I thought that CGI was okay. I I didn't really have a super ton of problems. I saw the the issues that Craig mentioned earlier uh, regarding the the hand and the petting and stuff. But I overall like there were so those were those aren't the reasons why I would go see a movie so much as like the interpersonal dynamics, the relationships, the characters, that kind of thing. That's what entertains me more um in terms of my rating i'd probably give this like a three and a half out of five uh yeah i think i was being too generous with four i would move it down to a three yeah it's it's okay uh it's a good starting point it could have been a lot worse um and we'll see if they end up utilizing the characters that people actually liked within the future movies well, as always, you can find us at geekconfidential.com. Like us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. Also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. Write us a review on iTunes. Craig, where can they find you on at Twitter? ZMovieManiac. Dan, Dan Pierce42. And as always, you can find me at Luke underscore Kerr. We thank you for listening. We hope you have a fantastic uh, week. So long.